listening to this message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Now, here's Pastor Ron Vietti. I was sitting back there eating a bagel, and they said, you ready to go out? I said, out. Oh, I got to go out there. I was eating a bagel and drinking a protein shake and kicking back and uh, my mind just wasn't there. Are you all doing okay? Yeah. You all look good? Yeah, you, you look happy and look good. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I uh, want to welcome all of our online people. We got a lot of people watch online from different places. We love you guys. And this morning, the Vegas campus joined us live and Thousand Oaks and Northwest. And it just, we love you all. That Just, just say that. And... Uh, Pray for us this week. We have almost 500 men going up to Big Bear. Almost 500 men will be up there at the retreat. And uh, so I, I want God to talk to us. Do you? You want to hear him? You think he has a word today that will really save you a lot of heartache if you listen? You know what? I don't get it. I really don't get it. Why God would choose this oaky Italian kid to talk through, I don't get it. When I get to heaven, I'll say, God, let me know why. I've tried to, to get him to change his mind so many times, going, you got the wrong guy, God. I, I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy, but he keeps saying differently. So, Lord, anoint me today. I love you, and I'm willing to be your vessel in Jesus' name, and open everybody's hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. What I'm going to do real quickly, I'm going to do a Bible study and then spring from that Bible study into the subject that's really on my heart today. Because I was reading this study when I came up with this subject, so I'm just going to take you back. And we'll bounce from this uh, Bible study to the subject, and I'll try not to be real long. I'll take a look at the clock right now, okay. Uh, look at Joshua 1, 1 and 2. Now, it came about after the death of Moses that the servant of the Lord, well, now get, after the death of Moses, the what? The servant of the Lord. Do you want to go up in the kingdom of God, become servant? The servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, and take all the people with you to the land which I'm giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Now, I wish I had time, but I don't. But Moses represents the law. Jesus, Yeshua, represents Jesus and grace. Moses can take you up to the promised land, but it's the grace of Jesus that gets you in. And I have a lot to say about that, but I don't have time today. What is happening in our text is God says, I have a promised land for my people to inherit. It's a land in which all the promises of God flow. It's a land in which there's provision for your every need. I've, I've went in there and I've stocked it. Everything's there that you need right there in the promised land. Now, we know the Bible says that the physical promised land in the Old Testament has a counterpart, and it's a spiritual promised land in the New Testament. So as they were to go into the physical promised land where God had equipped that land with everything they needed, we have a spiritual promised land we can get, go into where God has uh, stocked it with everything we need. Now, listen to me closely, and I hope this comes out right. Years ago, we, when we were smaller, there was about 100 of us at a concert, and the uh, man who was doing the music traveled the world singing and had a little group with him and ministering. And that night, he got so excited, and he said, I want everybody that goes to this church to stand up. And we stood. He said, you're going into the promised land. And he was excited, you're going into the promised land. And I thought, what are you talking about, <laughs> you know? After he got through with his performance, his wife came running down and threw her arms around me and hugged me. He said, you're going into the promised land. God shows him this in, in a lot of cities that he goes to. There's only like, you know, he'll go to a city every once in a while, and he, God will give him a word that this is a church that I'm going to use in the promised land. And so it didn't make any sense to me at all. And they gave me some Old Testament verses to read in Deuteronomy 4 and other places. 
And in those verses, it says that as you journey to go into the promised land, you'll pass your brethren by. And I begin to put two and two together as I looked at Old Testament Scripture. And you know, not all the tribes of Israel went into the promised land. Some stayed on the other side of the Jordan. And, and God showed me something really cool. He said, you know what? I have different churches on the earth. Some are Pentecostal, some are Baptist, some are Presbyterian. I have all these different churches because it takes those different types of churches to reach different types of people. And said so some people aren't going to want to be that, that, that oaky Italian, go get it, you know, church that you are. I mean, we, we're after it, man. We're, you know, if God has a gift, we want it. Uh, we're out here casting out demons, and we're out here praying for people to hear God, and we're praying for things to happen, and we're kind of crazy. And God said, I'm calling you into the promised land where every promise flows. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be a praying church. You're going to be a delivering church. You're going to be a, a, a standing on God's word church. You're going to be a radical faith church. And then he said to me through Scripture that you're going to pass your brethren by. He said, don't learn of them. Don't learn their ways. Don't do church the way they do it. They're my business. You just be about your business. Don't get conceited thinking, we're going to the promised land. You're not. They're in the land I want them in. They're there. Okay? you got a different land, but they're in their land. So don't think you're better than them because you're going to the promised land. You're just going to go into this land where all these promises flow. They're, they're settled in Jesus, having Jesus as Savior out there. So just don't learn from them on and on. He, he showed us this. Now, let me read something to you that, that the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4. He says, uh, therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may come up short of it. For indeed, we've had good news preached to us, just like the other churches have had the good news preached to them. But what the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by radical faith in those who heard. See, I do leave it here a second. I do pastors' conferences. We train pastors from all over the United States. And what I do is when I bring them in, I hold up a Bible. And I said, this, my friends, is a Bible. Either every word of it's true or none of it's true. There's no two ways about it. And then I'll read them verses like it says, that if you pray according to your will, you get it. I said, do you, do you understand that? If we pray anything according to his will, we're going to get it. You might not get it immediately, but you'll get it. And I read them these verses. I say, I want you to read these like you've never read them before. And I tell all of them, you know, guys, if we're not careful, us pastors are going to be embarrassed because someday someone's going to come along who reads this word and believes every single bit of it. And they're going to embarrass the daylights out of the rest of us because they really believe in the Bible. And so he says, for indeed, we have good news preached to us, but it, it doesn't benefit a lot of believers because they don't unite it with faith. They don't actually act like it's real. Then he goes on, for we who have believed enter that rest just as he has said. I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. Now see, he... He compares disobedience to not believing. Not believing in what God has told us is disobedience. He again fixes a certain day. Today, he says through David, after so long of a time, he said, today if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. There remains a Sabbath rest for God's people. What does that mean? God's people are to do what God says to do, obey him, worship him, praise him, and leave the rest to him. Rest. You do what God says, and you rest. You don't worry about things. But you have to do what God's told you to do. Be obedient. Uh, you know, very often you'll see me in my house holding up my word, going around praying and saying, God, you said right here, you said. And if you said it, and I obey it, it's got to happen. I'm ra I'd scare you if you were with me in my prayer time sometime. I get loud. I whip the word out. 
And I said, God, you'd supply all of my needs according to your riches and glory. And this is a need, God. It's a need. It's not a want. It's a need. And therefore, you're going to grant it. And so, lo and behold, you know, well, let me say, let me, before I lo and behold it, let me finish the text. <laughs> Verse 3 to 10, I get kind of excited. Verse 3 to 10, he says, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I've given it to you just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I've been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to your fathers to give them. Only be strong. Joshua would be strong. You're going to be attacked. You're going to be branded. People are going to come after you. Be strong. Be courageous. But be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that it says there within. For then, if you obey it all and you are careful to do it all, then the last sentence, then you will make your way prosperous and you'll have success. See, Peter told us, he said, God has given us all things pertaining to life and godly. He's already given them to us. I taught you the other day, you know, when you go somewhere, don't say, God, come, God, come, because you have God in you. Wherever you show up, God is. You don't have to say, God, come, God, come. He's already there. Wherever you're at, he's there. And he wants to use you. He wants to speak through you. Now, in our text, God basically says, Joshua, Moses is gone. He's not there to bail you out anymore. You're the man now. Moses is dead. I realize and I do believe that someday, if the Lord should tarry, when you see my body in a casket, the anointing is going to fall on someone else for this ministry. It's going to fall on them. And they're going to take it. Because God's not dependent on me. I'm just the vessel right now. I'm the earth suit he's using at the moment. He'll have another earth suit. And so, lo and behold, he says, man, he's dead. Don't try to hold on to something that's dead. Let it go. Trying to start a new chapter. Write a new chapter. And for some of you here today, there's things that God has not meant to stay in your life. They're dead now. They're gone. Write a new chapter. They were there for you for the moment, for a time span. Now it's time to move on. Write a new chapter. We come to those times. Now, we always tell you that the Word of God is what will make you successful in life. If you obey the Word of God, you'll have a successful marriage. And see, the Bible tells you. It tells you all of the things you need to do to have a good marriage, to have good finances, to have good kids, to have peace, to have joy, to have power. It tells you. See, why do we tell you all the time? You've got to get a devotional group. You've got to study the Word every day. Study the Word. Read the Word every day. Read the Word every day. Why? Because we forget. It's such a crazy lifestyle. You forget. It's countercultural. For example, this week, uh, how many of you have confessed your sins before God? Individually, just confessed them. It says it on page 993. We're supposed to do that. Uh, how many of you cast your cares literally on God? It says page 1,233. You're supposed to cast your cares on God. How many of you prayed for those people in power? It's on page 892. Uh, how many of us have offered up praise and worship to God without asking for anything? It's on page 1,332. It's there. The Bible. You forget. I mean, if you're here today, you say, I want to be great in God's kingdom. We used to sing a song with this scripture. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. You want to become great in God's kingdom? Start serving. Serve people. Help them out. Help them become what they want to become. Help their needs. Start to see what happens. Uh, you want to be closer to God? You say, I'm not as close to God as I want to be. The Bible says, draw near to the Lord, and then he'll draw near to you. He will. Finances, my finances are horrible. To try giving. You give good measure, and it'll be given back to you, we're told in Luke. Luke. 
It's all right here in the book. It's all right here. You want a good marriage? Find out what Jesus did for his disciples in the church and do the same thing and your marriage will be fantastic. You want good kids? It takes time to teach them the scripture and pray with them and you'll, you'll, have, you'll raise good kids. I could go on and on and on. Now, I'm using this as a jumping off point because I saw once again, I was reading it this week and I saw once again and I see it all the time in Old Testament scripture. When God tells his people to do something, immediately the next day they're doing it. In our text, Joshua, man, next day he said, okay, folks, come on, come on, let's go. Let's get with the program now. Moses is dead. We got to, they don't let grass grow under their feet when they know it's God. When they know positively God's telling them to do something, the next morning they're on their way. They're on their way that day. They don't let grass grow under their feet, which makes me want to talk to you today about procrastination. And I'm going to end with a very simple thing about procrastination. Procrastination is my sin. It only brings me sorrow. I know I ought to change my life, and I will tomorrow. One organization sent out a survey, found that only 10% of American people struggle with procrastination. The other 90% failed to send the paper back. I want you to finish this phrase. Someday I'm going to blank. Someday I'm going to do what? See, some of you, procrastination is hurting you. Some of you are putting off making that doctor appointment. You're putting off an exercise program. You're putting off dieting. Uh, some of you single people are putting off asking her out for a date. You're putting off giving your life to God, joining a small group, whatever, to learn God's word. You're putting it off. Procrastination. Why do we procrastinate? Let me give you six things real quickly. Number one is because some of us struggle with the spirit of perfectionism. And we go, man, I'm not going to start doing something until I know I can do it well. No, that's not the way you want to live. See, I knew I wanted to write some books, and I've written seven now, I think. But the first book, I didn't know how to write books. And I never wanted to do it unless I could do it well. Well, finally, I got over that perfectionist spirit, and I wrote it. It's not my greatest book in the world. I couldn't even think of the name of it this morning. Uh, it's Conspiracy of Silence. That's it. I just now remembered it. I mean, the prisoners love it, man. Out here in, in, uh, in uh, whatever out there, Laird, they love my book. They can't keep it on the shelf. But I wrote it, and I knew I couldn't be perfect. Our school, we started our school at VBF years ago, and we knew we didn't know how to do a school. We knew we couldn't do it perfect. So what we did is we went out and looked for the best kindergarten teacher around, founder, Michelle Bell, brought her in, and we just concentrated on kindergarten. And if we could do that good, then we'd go to first grade. If we could do that good, we'd go to second grade. We ended up first through eighth, and we had a high school and everything. But listen to this phrase, life by the yard is hard, but by the inch, it's a cinch. You just have to get started. That's all you have to do. Now, since that first book, I've written several books. And my last one I really like, and that's uh, Fire Starters. So, I, I'm just a perfectionist by nature. Anybody who struggle with that? I mean, I'm not perfect. I know that. But I struggle for perfectionism. You know what I'm talking about? Ah, I struggle with it. I mean, today I was getting ready to, to come here, and I was combing my hair. And I, I'm old now, and my hair's not looking good. And I thought, man, it's getting kind of thin. And I thought about what someone told me years ago. They said to put cayenne pepper on your head. And I don't know if it grew hair. It sure burned the daylights out of my head, man. And I thought about doing it against that. I thought, should I get some cayenne pepper again, you know, and start doing my hair? Uh, I still go to the gym. And I told my wife, she said, why do you work out so hard? I said, I want that six-pack I had when I was 18. <laughs> well, you know what I found out? I'm going to just settle for the half liter because that's, that's as good as it's going to get, man. It just ain't going to happen. Uh, we all have issues, right? Don't we all have issues? Come on. That deals around perfectionism, whatever, whatever. I, I, was, I was talking to a brother in the church the other day. He goes to the gym, and he said, you know, I got to confess what? He said, when I'm on a machine and I leave, I take the pin out and stick it away down to the heavier weight before I leave. <laughs> I said, you do that 
you really do that? He said, yeah. I said, I do too. <laughs> and my daughter was standing there and said, I do too, dad. <laughs> I'll do the 20 pounds. And I'll look around and I'll stick it down to 80. I'll think, they'll think this is a stud to get off this machine, man. Uh, when really I do girls' weights. I told you, we were down at the gym years ago, down in Santa Monica, and we were lifting weights. And I was sitting there, my wife was, let's go, let's go, let's go. I said, I don't want to go yet. She said, I got one more set. What are, you, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I said, Debbie, just, what are you waiting? I said, do I have to tell you that girl has my weights over there, and I'm waiting for her to get through with them? <laughs> uh, uh, well, you know what? I struggle with perfectionism. I do. And it's not healthy, not healthy at all, because it makes me procrastinate. I can't do it good. I'm not going to do it at all. Look at Ecclesiastes 11 and 4. It says, he who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. The second reason for procrastination is fear. Look at Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. See, I'm telling you, uh, it's important that we don't procrastinate because of fear. Now, I'm going to get down to somebody's private life right now. Forgive me. But you know what? Some of you are going to die early if you don't get over this. What do you mean? I'm scared of a colonoscopy. I'm scared of an endoscopy. I'm afraid of the dentist. I, I'm afraid of getting counseling. I'm afraid of what I'll hear. Uh, take it from me, I told you. I have cancer in my body somewhere now, but it's not life-threatening at the moment, and it shouldn't be. And if God keeps it the way, he's already told me I'm going to live, so it doesn't matter. And it's real slow growing wherever it's at. And uh, make a long story short, though, I shouldn't even have it. Because about 15 years ago, 20, they wanted to do a biopsy of my prostate, and I was afraid of biopsies, and I wouldn't let them do it. And I put it off. I know I have to. I need to. I put it off, put it off, put it off, put it off. And that's where I ended up at today. See, a lady pulled me over, and I'll remind you today a while back. She says, Pastor Ron. One day in, in church, you changed my life. Why? He said, you got up, and you, you all pointed right in my direction. He says, somebody needs to get a physical. Somebody needs to start getting their physicals every year. Needs to go to the doctor and get the physical. And she said, I knew it was me. I hadn't been for years. And I went, and they found cancer and found some other things, but they found it at such a point where it's not going to be a danger. But I said, I heard you speak, and it changed my life. I mean, we, we've got to stop procrastinating because of fear. Uh, we need to go ahead and do those things that God has told us to do, whatever they are. Uh, if you love your family, you'll stop procrastinating. Some of you, you know God's been telling you to go on a healthy diet, go on a healthy diet. You, you, you know that, you know that, and you're putting it off, you're putting it off, you're putting it off. I mean, it's hard, isn't it? Do you see what you can get at, at uh, uh, Burger King for five bucks? <laughs> Boy, it's doggone attempting, man, I'm telling you. And when you're on a 72-hour water fast, which I do every other month, don't watch TV commercials. <sighs> I, mean, I don't know how they get all that stuff in those burgers anymore. Burgers used to be just this flat with a piece of meat and cheese. Now they're stacking all kinds. Nevertheless, it's almost lunch. Uh, <laughs> Don't live with regrets. You know, I almost didn't get my wife because of fear. I've been like this all my life. I, I, I really have a fear of rejection. And it took everything in my power to ask her out for a date. Although she was dying to go out with me. No, not really. I don't know if she was or not. <laughs> but I was so afraid to ask her for a date because I did not want to be rejected. And so thankful I did because she would have been off the market real quickly had I not. And uh, all she could say was no, I thought. So finally I got up the nerve and said, I'm going for it. So, you know what? G make that appointment. Get, get started on that project. Uh, you might fail, but at least you tried. Don't procrastinate any longer. The third thing of procrastination is some people live in the future too much. You know, uh, look at Proverbs 27 and 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. I love this story. I shared it in a sermon years ago. My brother opened up the bottom drawer of my sister's dresser drawer and opened up a package wrapped in tissue. This is not a slip. He said this is lingerie, a lingerie slip. 
He discarded the tissue and handed me the slip. It was exquisite, silk, made and trimmed with lace. The price tag was astronomical, and it still was attached to the slip. He said, you know, Jan bought this the first time we went to New York, at least nine years ago, and she never wore it. She said she was saving it for a special occasion. Well, you know what? I guess this is the special occasion. He took the slip from me and put it on the bed with the other clothes we were taking to the mortuary. His hands lingered on the soft material for a moment. And then he slammed the drawer shut. And he turned to me and said, don't ever save anything for a special occasion. This is a special occasion. Every day is special, he said. Every day. Not just some days. He was angry. She said, I never forgot those words. On my flight back to California, she said, I thought about all that my sister had not seen or done in her short life. I thought about the things she had done but never knew they were special. I still think about those words. They've changed my life. Every day is special. He said, every day is special. And now I read more and dust less. I'm sitting on the deck enjoying the view without worrying about the weeds in the garden. I spend more time with family and friends and less time with committees and meetings. Gang, I'm going to tell you something. This comes from experience. For a way too many years, I've watched a way too many people come up here to the casket after a funeral. And they scream out, I love you. 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 I'm sorry I never told you. I never thought this would happen. They start talking to the deceased. So many regrets. They failed to say those things maybe while they were on earth. I've said it before and I'll say it again. You better love the people God's given you because someday he's going to want them back. He's going to want them back. And so don't put off until tomorrow the things you can do today. I went to Wasco State Prison not too long ago and I went in to teach and a man came out, he had all the tattoos on his face, had an orange jumpsuit on. He looked at me, and he said, Pastor Ron. I said, yes. And he started bawling. He said, my girlfriend begged me for years, go see Pastor Ron, let him pray for you. Get right with God. Go see Pastor Ron, ask him to lead you back to God. You need to do it, need to do it, need to do it. And I never did, and I'm going up for murder now. I'll be gone for decades, Pastor Ron. And he sat there and cried like a little baby. D.L. Moody, 1871, was speaking in Chicago. He spoke to a large crowd, and he said, you know what, tonight I'm not going to give an altar call. I'm going to ask you to go home and think about everything I said, and tomorrow night I'll give the altar call. And that's when the great fire of Chicago swept through that particular neighborhood, killed a large percentage of those people, and they never got the chance. Number four, what causes procrastination is distractions. What breaks your concentration? I think for most of us, you're probably like me, and uh, the cell phone is my big enemy. It breaks my concentration. You know how many times that God's talking to me and laying somebody on my heart to pray for them and text them, and I'll get my phone out and I go, God, there's a burden on my heart, and I'll start texting or go to call them, and I'll get another text or another call, and all of a sudden I forget about it. How many times I went to my phone and seen a real nice text written out that I thought was really, you know, good for the moment, and I never sent it because I got distracted. Somebody else called me. Somebody else texted me, and I forgot totally about them. It happens all the time. Can I make a suggestion to you? When you go to prayer and do your devotions in the morning, leave your phone in the other room. Turn it off. Put it in the other room. Now, take a, a pen and tablet with you. I do. See, I don't, I, I, I'm trying to teach you. Prayer is a two-way street. When you go to prayer, expect to hear God talk back with you. It's like a telephone call. You talk, he talks, you talk, he talks. I take a pen with me, and I write things down because I don't want my cell phone in the room. And then the impressions he lays on my heart, as soon as I go out, I, I will not touch my phone till I 
write the person, text them. I will not let my phone interfere because demons can use that. I noticed for years, way back, I used to always, first thing I'd get in the car, I'd turn the radio on. I never had any quiet time with God. Why would I expect God to use me if I don't have any quiet time to listen to His Spirit? See, back in the day when I was more holy, I would preach and I'd say, you know what? We're Christians. We only listen to praise music and Christian. We never listen to secular music. Never. If you listen to secular music, you're a sinner. That's when I knew it all. When I go on trips now, I listen to Christian music a lot. I love praise music. Sometimes I'll turn it over to old country music because it makes me fall in love with my wife again, man. <laughs> I love it. And then I love the hermits, hermits. The Beatles, the Beach Boys, California Girls. When I listen to these songs, they have a spiritual effect on me. They, they make me think about when I was dating my wife at 19 and 20, and I fall in love with her all over again. I can't wait to get home and see her because those songs, they draw memories. See, I'm not so holy anymore. <laughs> but it's not a f problem with me right now about uh, do I listen to music or not? What kind of, or I should say, it's not a problem what kind of music I listen to. The problem becomes now, I have so much business to take care of with God usually, I don't have time to turn the radio on. I say, I'm going across town, I want to listen to some music, but I haven't got time, man. Me and God's got to work some things out. I got to talk to him. I got to get some answers right now. So it's a thing now where you don't have to preach to me about what kind of music to listen to. Do I even have time to listen to it? Uh, a lot of you, man, you have the TV on all the time. Try this week turning the TV off some. I mean, some. I, I'm a big fan. College football, I'm in 10th heaven right now, man. And my team, USC, is doing really good. I love this time of the year. Uh, but turn it off sometimes. Uh, and just have some, some silence. Cut down on the distraction. God wants to use you. And then fifthly, what, what causes us to procrastinate? Uh, tasks are un unpleasant. And we don't want to do them, so we keep putting them off, putting them off, putting them off. See, I got a confession to make. I work out every day, and I hate every minute of it. I do cardio every day, and I hate every minute of it. Every other month, I do a 72-hour water fast, and boy, do I hate every minute of that. I mean, after the 60th hour or whatever, I'd like to just, I dream of sucking on avocados. That's what I dream about at night. <laughs> I'm so hungry. Uh, so what do we do? So we stop procrastinating. You got to uh, somehow make those tasks more enjoyable. That's what you got to do. When I, when I walk, I usually walk in the park or, or the neighborhood or the mall. And what I do is I usually get on the phone and talk to people I haven't talked to for a long time. It makes my walk go fast and I enjoy it more because I'm talking. I don't even realize I'm, I'm doing cardio. Uh, or I will pray. I will pray. I'll use that as my prayer time, man. And me and God gets into these deep conversations, and I go, well, I've already walked two miles. I didn't even realize it. Uh, but you've got to make them, try to make them more pleasurable. See, sometimes I get in the morning, and I can't wait to go do my cardio and walk because I want to talk to God. i got a lot of things i got to pour out. See, I, I have this childlike faith that when I give everything to God, while I'm doing my other stuff during the day, he's taking care of all of it. He's sending angels. He's doing all that for me. But I got to talk to him first. I got to put it on. I, sometimes I say, I got to talk to God now. I got to get it all on the plate because God is my defender. He's going to start working for me. He's going to start moving for me. Uh, and so you have to try to make it more pleasurable. For example, now when I uh, do the 72-hour fast, I always tell myself, okay, it's Monday now. I'll, I'll fast till Wednesday night. And then Thursday I'll break out of the fast and eat, you know, some avocados and bone broth. But Friday, I'm going to go to the beach and have chicken tacos and berry cobbler and ice cream. But I'm not going to reward myself if I don't do the 72-hour fast. And it gets me through it. Uh, the gym. This is when I go to the Las Vegas gym. They have this protein shake. It's, I forgot what it's called, but it's, it, it's coffee and chocolate. And it's like the best thing I've ever tasted on the face of the earth. And I go, man, come on, work out hard 45 minutes. You're going to get a, you're going to get a protein shake because you've got to take protein. And I, I see, this is scriptural. Jesus said in Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he endured the pain. So you've got to bring some pleasantness in it. You've got to, and then two, the stuff you dread, I do first thing in the morning before I wake up. See, I'm still kind of sleepy the first hour. 
And so I try to get it all done then so I can enjoy the rest of my day, uh, which leads me to these next two points. Procrastination sometimes happens because of our lack of energy. Anybody, come on, this is confession time. We're together. We're all a bunch of sinners saved by grace. Anybody caffeine junkies? Yeah. I can't go until I have my caffeine. I mean, I thought it was just aging. My wife, you know, she said, I think we're all like that. Uh, but what I do is I, I take caffeine pills because I don't like the sugar or the pesticides in the coffee. And so I, I take the caffeine pills, and I'm telling you, it'll, it, it'll, it's a game changer working out. You take a caffeine pill, and oh, my gosh. But see, caffeine doesn't work well with me. The first hour or two after I take it, I'm really, oh, you know, I'm like this. And I always say things I shouldn't say. I have to time my caffeine pills. I take them in the morning, run to the gym, do all my working out, and then I'm settled down. Otherwise, I'm always saying things I shouldn't say. Do you know the last two weeks alone, I've had to call three people and ask for forgiveness for some things I've said. And I blame it all on the caffeine. I mean, Ron is very disciplined. When he gets on that caffeine, especially the first hour or two, you don't want to see me. Because I get really, really jazzed, and I get very, very talkative. Uh, I know. I see you. I glance over the eyes like, you got to be kidding me. You take caffeine. Well, don't you? I thought everybody did. Well, you know what? I'm spiritual. I just depend on the Holy Spirit. Really? Can I tell you something? Caffeine was God's idea, not mine. Who do you think created the coffee plant? Huh? I'll give you scripture. Genesis 1:12. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants, including coffee plants, yielding seed after their own kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God said, it's all good. He said that. <laughs> Look at Genesis 9:3. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. So I, hunting's biblical. I give it all to you as I've given you the green plant. Wow. Now I got to end. Just give me 10 minutes. Four reasons why we should stop procrastinating. Number one, people depend on us. People depend on us. Can I say something to every young man out there? Listen to me closely. There's an old man deep down inside of you hoping you're going to get it right. Believe me. Dads, it's time. Time to get your life right with God. You know why? Because people are dependent on you. Your kids are depending on you to get it right. Their hormones are all over the place. They don't know if they're coming or going. They need dad leading the family and praying for them. Amen. Time to get it right, guys. Take care of ourselves. I saw two lane brains racing down Weibel Road a day for yesterday, going 80 miles an hour down Weibel Road. Stupid. Can I say something? Come on, guys, grow up. No time for macho things, racing and everything. Come on, man. You're going to kill some innocent person on the road. Macho, macho man, I'm going to be. Oh, come on. There's 20 guys can whip your fanny out there, man. You're not no macho man. Neither am I. Come on, that macho stuff has to go. Is that all right? It's got to go. Parents, let me tell you, you better get it right in your home right now. Get the joy of the Lord in that home. Because you'll only have those kids for about 20-some years, 20, 21, 22. And if it's not wonderful in the home, they're not coming back when they leave. You'll never see them again. Our kids and grandkids never want to leave. Because they know the joy of the Lord is in the home. Stop procrastinating. I cringe to think what my household would be like today had I not got it right with God. Josh is preaching at Hatchby today. He just called me. He said, Dad, it went well, man. He's at our campus up there. My son is preaching today. My son-in-law is preaching today. My daughter's running Sunday school today. All my grandkids are in ministry today. Because I broke the curse of the generations and got right with God. 
And then our spouses need us. They need us to be right with God. We had a situation two nights ago, and we got a letter, and we, we, we read it late at night, forgot to, and the letter seemed to indicate to us that somebody's stolen everything we have, everything. And we went to bed, and I said, Debbie, we're done. We're done. We better get an attorney first thing in the morning. And uh, lo and behold, I got on the internet, and you know me on the internet, I said, Debbie, we've got to hire an attorney, and we'll get this attorney to do this, we'll do this, do, 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 do. I got everybody, my wife worked up, I said, we got to go after this, we got to go after this, do, 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 do. And then I went to bed, and I slept in another room because I was snoring that night. And I said, God, forgive me. And I got everything right with God, and I started praising him. But I never told my wife. She got up the next morning, she was trembling. We found out that it was nothing. It's some attorney or some uh, realtor attorney guy we know got us all messed up. It's nothing. There's nothing to be afraid about. My wife walked in trembling and started crying. She said, I needed you to protect me, and you didn't. I felt about this big. She said, you let me down. You're a man of God. You're supposed to tell me it's going to be okay. And she cried and cried. I never felt so small in all my life. I felt like resigning in ministry. I said, but I did get it okay. She said, yeah, when you were in your bedroom, I guess, last night alone with God, but she didn't come out and tell me. She was just shaking. My wife needs me to be right with God. She needs me to hang in there and be the person that I, I, I act like I am in this pulpit. So what did I do? I'm the leader of the household. I've taught you married people this, that when things go wrong, you're the priest of the household. You bring peace. And I went in and grabbed my wife's hands, and I said, right now, God, I was a jerk yesterday. I let you down. I let my wife be afraid instead of being the man of God that I act like I am in that pulpit on Sunday. And I said, I beg you to forgive me. I'll never do it again. Promise I'll never do it again. I let my guard down. I'll tell you, our spouses need for us to step up to the plate. They need us to be the person God's called us to be. I can't procrastinate getting right with God. And I'm so sorry. I just, I got to be out here in five minutes. Number two, procrastination is a sin. If we call it by any other name, we'll justify our actions. It's a, we say, it's, well, it's a fault. It's a personality weakness. It's, it's a, you know, it, it's whatever. It's a personality flaw. No, delayed disobedience is deliberate disobedience. Look at Psalms 90.12. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. And I don't know why I put that verse up. Forget it. Go to the next one, Ephesians 5, 5, 15, 16. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Uh, all the time, God puts people in my heart. Every week. I, I don't put off calling them or, or talking to them or texting them. See, we're, we're God's body on earth. We are his body. Uh, I told you, whenever you show up somewhere, God shows up. We're the only body God has. Isn't that crazy? He's dependent on us. I feel sorry for God. So I said, if I had a body, I'd go visit that person in the hospital. If I had a body, man, I'd give that person $100. If I had a body, those are my kids. We are his body. You know, I was thinking the other day, the only people God is using is those that are expecting him to use them. I was in the mall uh, walking day before yesterday, and a lady said she had a dream. And I had a, a watch on and bracelets, and they're gold, and she was going through something. I took them off and gave them to her. She said, I don't know what that means. I said, I know what it means. God knew you were going to see me today, and let me pray for you right now. Will I embarrass you? She said, no. I said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to thee. I'm going to anoint you right now with, with the power of prayer. I'm going to anoint you to know how to pray over your situation. See, every day when we leave that, that, that house, we should have in mind, God, how are you going to use me today? I've talked about that a lot. Uh, a guy was driving along the Golden Gate Bridge. I read this uh, a couple years ago. Had his kids in the back seat with him, and his kids were left by my grandkids. My grandkids preached to me all the time, Josh's kids. But their kids were in the back seat, and I could see my little Olive saying this. They're driving across the Golden Gate Bridge, and the little girl said, Dad, Dad, did you see that man back there, Dad? Did you see that man? He said, Daddy, he didn't look right. Daddy, I think something's wrong with that man. We need to go back. His dad said, oh, no. Daddy, we need to go back. 
So because the little kid insisted, he went back, went out there, and that guy was on the edge fixing to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. And he said, I was praying so hard. God, if you love me, cause someone to stop. If you love me, please. And I told you, we talked about margins and having margins in our life so we can be there for people. We need to do that. We have to do it. People need us. They need us. Uh, today, the waitress at the restaurant, she might have a couple kids or whatever. She might need a big tip if you can afford it. And do it in Jesus' name. She might need to be invited to church. She might need someone to pray for her, someone to care. Someone might need your text today to say, I love you. Just telling you I love you. You don't know how many times through life that somebody's texted me and said, Ron, just love you and thinking about you. And I go, I thought you hated me. Oh, that just liberated me. Thirdly, it causes unneeded stress in your life. Unneeded stress. See, when you know you have to do something, you keep putting in the back of your brain, pack your brain, it just ruins your whole day. You know what I mean? You know I got to do this, I need it, but I'm not going to. You try to put it off, put it off. You can't enjoy anything. And I'm going to have to begin, begin to bring this to an end. But you can't enjoy anything. Oh, oh uh, Jeb. Jeb is from, 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 from Oakyville, man. And one day he was driving the wagon down the road full of straw. And I guess it turned over. His neighbor came by and saw Jeb. The wagon had turned upside down and there was hay everywhere. And Jeb was just working, sweating, trying to dig his way out of this and get this trailer back up. And he's working, working. And the neighbor says, hey, you know what, Jeb? Why are you working so hard, buddy? Come on home and have dinner with us and I'll come back and help you. He said, oh, I can't. Paul wouldn't like that. And he kept digging. He said, Jeff, Jeb. He said, I'm telling you, come home with me for dinner and I'll come back. Paul wouldn't like it. Paul wouldn't like it. He said, look, I'm your elder. I'm telling you, come home and have dinner with me. We'll come back. I'm ordering you to do this, son. He said, well, I'm telling you, Paul won't like it. So he left the wagon there, went home, ate dinner real quickly. And he says, let's go, let's go back to the wagon. And he says, no, we have to go back right now. He said, well, Paul won't like it. He says, well, where is Paul? He said, he's underneath the wagon. I didn't prepare well last night, and I just, that came up first service, so I thought I'd use it again. Uh, but you see, that kid couldn't enjoy dinner or anything because he, he knew there's something he needed to do real badly. Made my point. Uh, the last one, and we're out of here. It'll rob you of your salvation. It can rob you of your salvation. I was going to read two passages in Acts, but I'll paraphrase them. And I'm coming to an ending. I'm, I'm through with this. Uh, there's two passages in the book of Acts. And if I had to sum up what they say, Paul is ministering to the big shots of Israel. And one of them said, man, you're about this far from winning me over. I'm about this far of being saved. But I don't want to hear any more. I'll hear you more later on. I don't have time right now. Another one, almost the same thing. He said, you know what? He's Paul, you're out of your mind, but you're persuading me. But tomorrow I'll hear more, not today. I won't hear any more. You know, if you had a microphone today and you could go down into eternity, into hell or wherever, and interview some of the people down there, they would say, I meant to get right. I meant to get right. Usually people who put off salvation till the 12th hour, they die one minute till. I'm telling you, it's nothing to play games with. You know how many times over 50 years I preached, and I'm not saying this to scare you or anything else, but I had people leave that never came back again. They died. And Billy Graham was in Seattle at a speaking campaign years ago, decades ago. He said, I woke up with a burden for Marilyn Monroe. Heart was heavy for her. I called her agent, and I said, I've got to talk to Marilyn. I have to. He said, well, let me talk to her and get back to you. He got back to him and said, Marilyn says her schedule is so busy. Two or three or four weeks, she'll try to make time. And she died that next week. Gang, we can't procrastinate when we know something's God's will. We know it is to get right with God. We know it's God's will for us men to stand up, get off pornography, grow up, get rid of the macho thing, and start being the leader of our families. 
we know it's right for us women to do the same. Procrastination will kill you. And it'll rob you from every ounce of joy you have until you do die. The things that God tells you to do and you know it's Him, beyond a shadow of a doubt, do them ASAP. Take care of them. That's all I had to deliver today. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much, God, that you show up every, every time we show up. God, you know, with all the struggles I had this week, I didn't even have time to prepare a sermon. I got up here and kind of flinged it today. But I knew you would be faithful because I'm not dependent on me, I'm dependent on you. So right now, anybody here today who says, Ron, I can't keep putting it off, I need to get right with God, I know it. I'm not going to ask you to get out of your seat, nothing. But I am going to ask you to boldly raise your hand up in the air, leave it up there so we can see who you are, we can give you a package later. But raise your hand up very high and say, I want to give my life to God today. Raise it up really high. God bless you. Yes, God bless you over here, over here, over here. I see hands popping up over here on this side. Let it go high. Let God see your hand. Say, I want you, God. I want you, God. Your hands are going up everywhere. There's got to be 50, 60 hands going up. Lift it up high. High. Now, I want you to believe in this prayer. Let's everybody in the building pray, God, I give you my life. I don't want it anymore. Holy Spirit, come and live in my body and live there for the rest of my life. Today when I leave here, I'm going home with God in my body. You're now my Savior, Jesus, and my life is yours. Let the journey begin. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. See you here, there, in the air. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org.